0: chapter 15 and verse 11, Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, probably over a year ago, I guess it is now, uh, Robert came to faith in Jesus Christ, and I'm not picking on him, I told him I was going to use him as an illustration, he gave me permission, so, uh, but, uh, you know, I remember Robert coming to me and saying, do you think God would save somebody like me? And, um, and I said, well, I know he would, but let's talk about it. So we got together and, and uh, talked about it, and he ended up giving his heart to Christ. And, you know, one of the things that is so amazing to me is to see how God, first of all, loves us, but secondly, how he takes us where we are and he changes us. And uh, one of the great encouragements to me about Robert is the joy that he has in the Lord. And uh, and I know some of you have seen that. You know, God delights to save sinners. He saved me. He saved you. Aren't you glad he delights to save sinners? I I tell you what, um, the joy that we can find walking closely with him uh, in a relationship that comes through Jesus Christ is is really like nothing else in this life. Uh, But we are not the only ones who take joy in that. God takes joy. And one of the things that I love about the story of the prodigal son is the joy that God has in receiving the sinner. And so if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want you to know that, that God, first of all, loves you. Secondly, he wants to extend his grace and forgiveness to you. Uh, it doesn't matter what your past is. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Uh, so uh, the story goes in this chapter, um, the father has two sons, and, and he actually has an inheritance for both sons. And the younger son says, uh, Father, give me my inheritance so that I can go and uh, enjoy it. And the father divides up, literally, the scripture says his life, all he has worked for, all he has struggled for in his life. And uh, the younger son goes out, and he takes that money and he spends it on every kind of sinful pursuit that he could possibly find. And he blows all of his father's inheritance, and he finally comes to the place where he has no money left. And and he goes and he finds a job feeding pigs. And he says, I would like to eat the food that the pigs are eating. Now, you know you're in trouble when you're wanting to eat pig food. Uh, But that's where he was. He was so broken. He was so at the end of himself. And so finally he says, you know what? The servants in my father's house have a better time than me. They have plenty of food to eat. So I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my father and I'll humble myself before him and say, Father, I am not worthy to be your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And uh, so he comes up with this plan. He goes and he as he's coming over the hill, the father is actually waiting for him. And the father begins to run up the hill. And to, to, he throws his arms around him and, and kisses him. And, and, and the son is trying to say, I'm not worthy of your son. But the father's not listening. He says, he says I want you to go get my best robe. Get the ring uh, from, from my finger and put it on his hand and get him shoes to wear. And he says, kill the fatted calf. Because we're going to rejoice that my son was lost and has been found again. And as he talks about killing the fatted calf, he uses a word that was used in Jewish sacrifice. It, it, it was a word to be to offer as a sacrifice and it's a beautiful picture. Even as they kill this fatted calf to celebrate, it's a picture of the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because without him, none of us could find God's forgiveness. The Bible says that Jesus was God's son, came to this earth, was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died a death as our substitute on the cross, took the full penalty of payment for our sin, rose again, and the Bible says that through repentance and faith in him, choosing to turn from our sin in our own way to put our trust in him that we can have salvation, forgiveness, and redemption. Uh, This is what Christ has done for us and what God delights to give to us. The title of my message is repentance that brings joy. Each of us needs to repent. And whether you know Christ or whether you don't, you need to repent. Can I tell you, if you don't know Christ, you need that first repentance, that surrender of your heart to Christ so that you can find God's forgiveness but if you know him, you need a different kind of forgiveness. There's a forgiveness of sacrifice, which which Jesus provides for us. But you also need the forgiveness of relationship. That relational forgiveness where uh, when a relationship is estranged, you confess that sin to God. God restores that fellowship. And so each of us has to take up our cross daily, even as believers, to follow Jesus Christ. Repentance is for everybody. So the repentance... That brings joy. Look with me at Luke 15 and verse 11. Jesus is telling this story. He also said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country, and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of the country who had sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods the the pigs were eating, but no one would give him any. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, and I am dying of hunger. I'll get up. Go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his slaves, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fat calf and slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Your brother is here, he told him, and your father has slaughtered the the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry, and he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him. But he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet you gave me, never, not once, a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, One who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fatted calf for him. Son, he said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Repentance, that brings joy. I want to hone in on two verses here in this scripture. Uh, And I want to talk about some of the marks of repentance. Uh, These are are marks that often accompany repentance and kind of to to describe repentance and help you understand repentance as God describes it. It's kind of like a doorway that leads you through uh, to receive the the forgiveness and salvation and blessing that God has. Uh, The first thing I want you to see that is a mark of repentance is turning to God, turning to God. Uh, The father in the story represents God. The prodigal son represents each and every one of us who have sinned against God. So verse 20 says, he got up and went to his father. Now that sounds like a simple statement, but what it means is he was pursuing a certain path. He had gone out to do things his own way, to live his own way, to do the sin that he wanted to do. But now he is choosing To turn and to go back to his father to forsake that way of life, to humble himself and to come to his father for forgiveness. When any person receives the gift of salvation that Jesus Christ provides, they must make a choice to turn from that sin and that old way of life to follow Jesus. Uh, When we talk about being a Christian, some people have called it being a Christ follower. And that's a good way to think of it because what we do is we choose to turn to follow. We can't do that in our own strength. But uh, but we have to make that choice in order to be saved. And then God will send us the Holy Spirit and help us to live for him. So he got up and went to his father. I remember when I was growing up, I had um, I had been raised in church ever since the... The time with the bed babies, you know, uh, I, I was I was in church all those growing up years. Now, my father wasn't a Christian at first, uh, but he, he ended up giving his life to Christ when I was about three, and uh, and so I had I had heard the gospel many times. I had I had been in part of, of church life. I I knew what to say. I knew how to act. I knew all of those things, and I'd kind of gone through the motions of making a decision, but my heart had never truly been surrendered to Jesus Christ. And I remember hearing a message on repentance. And and the Holy Spirit, just kind of like a knife, just kind of stuck it. I knew. He pierced my heart with that. And, And I knew that I was lost, that I had not repented of my sin. I had not surrendered my heart. I had not chosen to turn from my sin in my own way to follow Jesus Christ wholeheartedly. And uh, that began a wrestling process in my life for about a year uh, until I finally surrendered to Christ. Uh, But you know what? It was the doorway into life like I had never experienced it before. Uh, Life with Christ, walking with Christ. I've not always been walking with Him the way I should. There have been times where I've strayed. But uh, life has never been the same since I've met Jesus Christ. I'm so grateful. Or that relationship with him. But many people want to continue their own way. Do you remember the rich young ruler? He comes to Jesus. He says, what good things must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, you've heard the commandments. And he says, uh, you know, you should should not kill. Don't commit adultery and so forth and so on. He begins to list these, these commandments. And he says, well, I've kept these things from my youth. But Jesus saw his heart. He says, okay, I'll tell you what you need to do. Because he was wealthy. He said, go sell everything that you have. Give it to the poor. And come to follow me. Because Jesus knew the idol of his heart was his money. And the man was unwilling to part with his money. And And he went away sad, the Bible says. Because he had great possessions. And he was unwilling to give up those great possessions to follow Jesus. You see... The truth be told, all of us have sinned, the Bible says. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. None of us could keep the commandments to get to heaven because all of us have broken them. That's why we need salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Because we are helpless and hopeless without him. But the man came to him, and many people are like that. They think, you know, I'm good enough. I don't need Jesus. I can earn my way to heaven. I can live good enough to get to heaven. And they're kind of like the older brother in the sense that they're proud about their accomplishments. And they're proud about their good life. But God sees through all of that outward veneer to the center of our hearts. And he knows exactly where we are. And he knows that all have sinned in falsehood of the glory of God. Um, has there ever been a time where God has not been number one in your life? Well, that's a sin. Who of us hasn't? Committed that sin multiple times, so so God wants us to humble ourselves and to come uh, to to Him and to Christ in faith and to choose to turn from our own way to follow Christ. That's so important. That's the essence of repentance of what repentance is. And so uh, the young man comes to his father, and, and he he comes with his head hanging down. He comes ashamed of himself. But he comes to find forgiveness. If you're here today, I want you to know it's simple. Come to Jesus. He's the source of forgiveness. He's the source of life. Come to him. So uh, what are the marks of repentance? Well, first of all, turning to God. Secondly, admitting sin. Admitting sin. Look at verse 21. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Now, you may think that that's a given, that that most people would admit that they're sinners. But the Bible says that everyone justifies himself. Uh, We tend to overlook our sin and point out the sin in other people. Have you ever noticed that? People will will, uh, focus on others but not admit the sin. I remember I went to a man's house one time in Texas, and I had never had this happen to me before. But I was trying to talk to him about Jesus, and he said, well, you know, I've not sinned. I really didn't know what to do with that. I'd never had anybody say that to me before. And so I just kind of, I don't know if it's been so long ago, I don't remember if I shrugged or what I did. I just kind of, okay, change the subject. I don't know what to say here. And, uh, but, but later on, I began to realize that the way people understand they're a sinner is to be exposed to the law of God and to understand how they've broken his law. And so the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. and Love your neighbor as yourself. Is there anybody in this whole room who's ever done that all the time? None of us. So we've sinned by not doing what we should do. The Bible says he who, who can control his lips, his tongue, is the same as a perfect man. But guess what? None of us can control our lips and our tongue. All of us have sinned. Have you ever uh, taken God's name in vain? It's a sin against God. It's blasphemy, the Bible says. Uh, if you've ever gossiped, uh, that's, a, that's a sin against God. Have you ever cursed? The Bible says we're not to have filthy things flowing from our mouth. Have you ever told a dirty joke? Okay? We, listen, I'm going to tell you something. These are things that are sins in the eyes of God. Now, the Bible says that man looks at the outer appearance, but God looks on the heart. You see, outwardly, the older brother looked pretty good, didn't he? I mean, he was doing everything that his father told him to do. But what was his heart like? He had a bad attitude. He resented it. I mean, he didn't. His younger brother had the guts to act on his rebellion. But the older brother had a rebellious heart. He just didn't act on it outwardly. You see, there's a lot of people that may not act on their rebellion outwardly. But inside their heart, there's this attitude of rebellion against God. The Bible says that in our hearts, before we come to Christ, we're the enemies of God. None of us wants to submit to him. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever disrespected your parents? All of these things are, are sins against God. Um, someone said that if you if you sin three times a day, you'd be a pretty good person compared to most people. But that would give you seventy five thousand sins if you lived to be seventy five. So uh, you know, uh, we're not only guilty; we're guilty with a capital G. In order to find God's forgiveness, you have to, first of all, admit your sin. That's why Romans starts with a discussion about sin, right? He talks about the nations. I was going to talk about that this morning, but God led me somewhere else. But, but he was, he, Romans talks about how people suppress God's truth and how they choose to rebel against God and go their own way, and he turns them over to their own desires And we see that happening in our culture today. But then if you go on to chapter 2 and 3, God says, Okay, you Jew that has the will of God in in written form, do you break the commandments? Yes, you do. You're guilty too. And then he he ends up in Romans 3 saying, There is none who seek God. There is none who go after him. They've altogether become corrupt. Their mouths are open graves. And God says all humanity is under the guilty verdict of God apart from Christ. So we must admit our sin. Sometimes that's hard to do. I heard a story one time in my family. A man was sharing with me a uh, It was all he could do to humble himself, to say to his wife, who was standing on the doorstep, getting ready to leave him, please stay. But because he was willing to do that, their relationship was restored. I wonder if there's somebody here today who's struggling, and and you don't want to admit, you don't want people to know that you're a sinner. Well, we, we really know it anyway, but you don't. You don't want people to see that. You don't want to come up here. You don't want other people to look at you and say, well, he is a sinner and he needs Christ. I want to tell you something. Everybody is in that position. But you need to make a decision to step out and make that decision for Christ today or your relationship will not be restored. You must admit your sin. So the first mark of repentance is turning to God. The second one is admitting your sin. Uh, The third one is feeling unworthy. Look at verse 21. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You don't understand your own sinfulness if you believe you're worthy. There are some people who act as though they are God's gift to the church and God's gift to this world, and they walk around in pride. No Christian should strut because all of us are sinners saved by grace. And when you begin to see yourself as you really are, you know know what I found? God has a way of taking away our pride. I found that, you know, I I went through a time in my life where uh, things weren't going the way I thought and and I began to rehearse the things to God that I had done for Him. Have any of y'all ever done that? I began to say, well, God, you remember I witnessed for you and God, I, I served in your church and God, I did this and I did that and God, you need to answer my prayer and you need to do things the way I think you ought to do them because look at what I've done for you. And that was the attitude of my heart. Fact is... The attitude of my heart should be, thank you for what you've done for me. Because, can I tell you something? Any righteousness that we have is surely by the grace of God. You know what I found? If God begins to withdraw his hand a little bit from my life, I fall flat on my face. And every once in a while, he just kind of, he'll just move it just a little bit and show me how weak I am. Say, okay, message received. Thank you for your grace, right? I mean, really, what did Jesus say? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. I'm unworthy of the grace. Now, God doesn't point out our sins so that we dwell on our unworthiness. He doesn't want us to wallow in and, oh, I'm a worm and that kind of thing. You know, he did not want us to do that. But he wants us to understand our unworthiness because only when we understand our unworthiness can we truly appreciate God's grace. And you know what happens to somebody that has sinned and they understand their sin and they, they understand their unworthiness and they receive the, the unmerited favor of God through Jesus Christ? Their response becomes one of worship and thanks to God. You see, when when you recognize that you bring nothing to the table, I, you know we were talking Sunday school this morning. Even your decision to give your heart to Christ could not have happened were it not for the drawing and the calling and the the wooing of God's Holy Spirit in your heart. I believe God gives us enough grace to where we can trust Christ. We still have to trust him. We have to make that decision. But we could not even do that were it not for the grace of God that he extends to us. There is nothing, not one thing that I can take credit for in my walk with God. It is all by the grace of God from beginning to end. Um, The fact that God rewards us is just his grace. You ever thought about that? I'm saved by grace, and then he rewards me for the things that I do for him, which I couldn't do unless he did them through me. And yet he still rewards me. That's just the goodness and the grace of Almighty God. And when you truly understand your own sin, and when you truly understand the grace of God, the response of your heart is one of joy and gratitude and thankfulness for the amazing grace. can't tell you how many times I've heard parents gripe about kids. Okay? And I'll admit it. There have been times I've griped about something my kids have done. Okay? So, just in case you think I'm being self-righteous. Think about what this father must have experienced with his son going off into a far country. First of all, the grief at the separation from his son. Uh, any father that loves his son delights in that relationship. I remember uh, when, when my brother and I uh, went into the military uh, later. I, I didn't know this until a couple years later, but my parents were telling me. They all pulled off the road and were crying. And I didn't know that, but they supported us. I mean, they were they were supporting us outwardly, but inside it just tore them apart that their kids were leaving. And so... Uh, the father's heart was was broken by, by, and it's a natural part of life. It's something that should happen, but you, you feel that pain. But then, all that he'd worked for had been spent and misused. Some of you who have a really good financial sense, you you've worked hard and you've planned well and you've you put your money in the right place and you've done all these things and you you have a nest egg. That you put up. how would you feel if you lived to see what you, those who inherited that money did with it you know I, I don't know but but he must have been he, there must have been some frustration and, and some grief that, that came across his heart as, as he knew he knew his son he, he had seen his son from the time he was young and he, and he grew up and he knew what he would do with it and, and he must have been broken-hearted over that. But you find no animosity whatsoever when the son comes back. You don't hear the father saying as the son comes over here, I knew you'd come back. I knew this is where you'd be. I want to tell you something. I told you so. I told you, you kept on this path. This is where you were going to head. You don't hear a word like that. You You don't hear him say, well, you're going to have to apologize to me first. You know what you did to me? You don't hear any of that. All of that's forgotten. The father has completely erased any thought of wrongdoing. And his heart is so overwhelmed and overcome by his love for his son. That he did something that in the ancient Near East they don't do. He ran. You're an elderly person, ancient Near East, in that time. You did not run; you walked. You had decorum, you know. Some of you are in the military; you have military bearing, right? You you walk with decorum. But the father forgot all that. All he could see was his son had come home, and he's overjoyed. My son, my son has come home, and he runs. And I imagine the tears are. Rolling down his cheeks as he throws his arms around him and he he kisses him. Maybe he thought, I thought I might not ever see you again. He says, we're going to party. We're going to have a big time. Kill the fatted calf. My son has come home. Did you know that's God's heart for you? The enemy will try to tell you that God's heart toward you is not generous, that God holds, holds the, the things that you've done against you. But, but because of what Christ has done, all the, the justice of God and the wrath of God has been satisfied, and God delights for you to come and receive grace. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, but you must come with a repentant heart what about you do you know jesus do you have a relationship with him maybe you're you know him but you've you've grown distant from him in your walk with him and uh, maybe you've kind of cherished a sin in your life and kind of gone your own way and 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 you knew in your heart it's wrong and the holy spirit's dealing with you and you're convicted by that but you've just kind of slowly drifted from god and you need today to say lord i choose today turn from that and to follow you again. I'm laying that down and i want to walk in close fellowship with you. I'm going to invite you here in a moment uh, to come to this altar and tell God that if you want me to pray with you I'd be happy to. But if you're here today and you've never made a decision to turn from your own sin and your own way to follow Jesus and to receive the gift of salvation and the eternal life that he purchased for you. When he died on Calvary's cross, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. And just as Jesus arose from the dead, he'll give you new life within. He'll change you. He'll come and indwell your heart with his Holy Spirit. And he'll walk with you. And he, just as the father in the story, will delight for you to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the amazing grace and love and mercy that you show to us. Of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, that it pleased you to crush your son for us. Thank you, Jesus, for willingly going to the cross for us. Father, I pray that any who need to make a decision.